Finding Happy, Seven Steps to Relationships That Will Not Steal Your Joy is the new book by me, Nikita Banks, a licensed psychotherapist and life strategist. Leverage the knowledge you'll receive in this book to help you with the process of obtaining absolute clarity through the use of guided self-exploration. This process is necessary to help you master all your relationships in 2019 and beyond. Go on Amazon.com or BlackTherapistPodcast.com and grab your copy of the book guaranteed to help you redesign all your relationships based on two basic principles, health and happiness. Get your copy today. Welcome to the Black Therapist Podcast. The Black Therapist Podcast is a podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. Now, if you are new to our show, I am your host, author, life strategist, and psychotherapist, Nikita Banks, in private practice in my hometown of Brooklyn, New York. I am available for both psychotherapy and coaching sessions, and you can find more information about that on my website, NikitaBanks.com. You can listen to our podcast everywhere podcasts are found, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, SoundCloud, Pippa, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and BlackTherapistPodcast.com. If you are a mental health advocate or therapist and you want to buy our podcast merchandise, you can do so by visiting our site. And if you want access to our free mental health tips, free online trainings, discounted selective services, and resources, do so by joining our mailing list by texting "get happy" all one word to six six eight six six. If you love the podcast, please like, comment, and share. We love to hear from you. And if you want to send me some feedback, guest suggestions, or simply to say hey, you can contact us at our website, BlackTherapistPodcast.com. Please be mindful that this episode and all of the information that we provide here is just a resource and a tool to help get you started on your mental health journey. If you are feeling any mental health distress or you are having any significant issues, please feel free to reach out to us so that we can find you a mental health provider in your area. Okay, let's go. Hey guys. So I was not going to do a show today. Not because I don't want to. I really want to. I miss you guys. But I'm tired. Is anybody else exhausted? Right? Like, you guys know I've struggled with my mental health. My mental wellness is just like a part of my overall fitness. And, you know, there's so much changes that are happening in my life right now. Mostly all good. But, you know, life still happens. My bills still are due on the 1st and the 15th or whenever bills are due. I don't really know when all of my bills are due. Some of them are like on automatic pay. But like, it's a lot going on. And so I figured I'd just jump in to give you guys live and to say, um, I hope everyone is well. (sighs) This has been a really rough weekend weekday month year decade it feels like this has been such a long time um i'm pretty sure most of the people who are listening know that i am from brooklyn new york new york is like a little like a little high school um you would think that new york is like a big town because it's so many people that lives here. But like if you run in the same circle and around the same age group, you know pretty much a lot of the same people. And so although I did not know DMX, um, ironically, the last concert I 
think I went to live was a DMX show. Um, What happened in 2017, I spoke at an event at Mega Everest College, was like, I don't know, Brooklyn Bodega, so that was this, it's called. I don't remember now, but I spoke at an event and it was a hip hop festival. And part of that, they had me on a panel speaking on mental health. And as a result, I got to get tickets to go to the after concert. And so I went to something else first. Because I was like, let me just go through this little concert. Because I had no idea who was really on the bill. Like, there were some artists that I knew that I was like, I wanted to see. And then DMX was closing. So I was like, I want to get there before DMX closes. And, like, just the energy that he exuded on on the stage. He was bouncing around. There was one point that he was, like, rocking out on the speaker and hanging off these rafters, and I was like, "Oh my God, it's so it's so far. Please don't let him fall. <laughs> like, please, Jesus, don't let me watch DMX die today." And unfortunately, the time has come. Right, so that day he brought out his son, who I think was two years old, or maybe his youngest or the baby. And I was just missing recent post and recent. Things of like his youngest son being on Wendy Williams show with him. And so, you know, obviously my condolences go out to the family and the friends. I have a lot of mutual friends. He performed at the tunnel. I hung out at the tunnel all the time. Like he was up signed to Def Jam. I was at Def Jam all the time. Like we had a lot of mutual friends in common. So just to be here, uh, still in the city. Seeing all of my friends suffer is a lot. But on the flip side, after just having the initial shock wear off that he passed away, I thought about all of the guys that I knew in the hood growing up who were like X, right? Like my cousins, um, Poppy and Junebug. Shout out to them. Why in black families? Like I only knew their government names I don't know why I said it like that just like if y'all don't know government is what's on your paper your ID but New York we used to say you use the term government right but I only knew my cousin's government name like maybe as an adult like I've never known what their real names was because that's just what their real names <laughs> was as far as I was concerned it was Poppy and Junebug but just remembering you know and seeing what trauma looked like for my family and knowing what they all went through, knowing what growing up in the, you know, in the 80s and the 90s in Brooklyn, New York looked like for all of us, the shared traumas that we've gone through, um, knowing X's story and knowing that he was abused by his mother and unwanted and grew up in foster care and, you know, group homes and the only person that he credits with actually loving him and giving him that resilient intervention was his grandmother who passed away. Um, the, and she gave him also religion and a belief that things, you know, get greater later. Uh, but that, that drug addiction was something that he was not able to kick. And so I think about all of the addicts in my own family who were 
affected by that motherless child loss when my grandmother passed away and like my 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 mostly my, my, my siblings but my mother's siblings and when my other grandmother passed away my father and his his struggles with drugs and my aunt's struggles with drugs and you know all of the things that they went through with this unprocessed trauma it's like a new resolve for me and for any other clinician that's hearing the sound of my voice to make sure that what we are doing is extending the olive branch to men of color I remember coming into this field and going to my first job interview and them asking me, what do, well, Miss Banks, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I want to work with women of color, which I do now. Shout out to me. But I was like, I want to work with, with women of color. And the guy was so nasty and snarky white guy. And he was like, well, I guess the men will save themselves. And in that moment, I was like, well, damn, listen, I'm saving black men at at home who I date. I got to get the energy from my own child and then get the energy from my man. Like, Jesus, can I give some sisters some love in my daytime? But I noticed that when I work, oh, I don't want to get emotional. When I do work with the men who, who I know personally, my dad, my uncle's. My clients, you know, even when I interviewed 50 Cent, if you guys didn't hear that show, you should go back and listen to that um, show where I talked about when I used to be a journalist and I had a conversation with 50 Cent, who I, you know, affectionately see as like an insecure fat kid with no mother. Right. Um, The guys that I know who really struggle with the lack of or a loss of their mother's love is some is some deep stuff, man. It's some deep stuff. So I want you guys to try to at least create space in your life, in your day, in your heart for men of color who need the love of their moms and not in like a a self a pitying way right just in a way of empathy in a way that you can I'm not asking you to extend any 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 um energy that you guys don't have it, it can be exhausting dating a man who is a man of color who's going through this kind of trauma and they've experienced a situation where Either they have been abandoned by, they've been abused by, or cast aside by their moms, right? But it's a trauma that we don't really talk about a lot. A lot of times we talk about the trauma of daddy issues, but we really, rarely talk about the effects of mommy issues and how we talk about it when we do. It's usually that competitiveness of like women and their moms, but the effects of black men having troubled relationships with their mothers, that's some deep stuff. And as a as somebody who dates black men or have been in relationships with black men, I mean, I mean whatever, <laughs> relating to black men, it's hard. You know, I remember a friend of mine being like, well, I'm not paying reparations to that man for his mama. But sometimes, you know, you go through those struggles and you see the things that our men go through and although you cannot heal it 
what you could do is try to guide them to a place where they can see that they need help. Um, and shout out to to Shara, um, who was DMX's ex-wife. I know that he was engaged to be married to somebody else, but listen, his ex-wife, she, she put a lot of decades and years into trying to get him together and save him and like mold him to, to a place where he could get healthy and he can get healing. But you know what? I felt about X's passing the same way that I felt about my father's passing is that he is in no more pain. And if you don't know anything about DMX's music, I suggest that you go out and you Google it. He was a prolific lyricist. His lyrics were exercise in just like pain and anger and human resilience. You know, he prayed at all his shows. Um, talked about a lot about God. He raised orchids. Who raises orchids? <laughs> um, but he was a he was a hood dude from Yonkers that, you know, as soon as he came around, his goal was to intimidate. And I respect that because I know guys like that. Um, I love guys like that. I have guys like that in my family. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, it was a renewal a morning, but a renewal because I've had so many of my students when I used to teach and when I used to be a school social worker who dealt with such imaginable trauma. Um, I also used to work when I was really young at, I call Kitty Corrections. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of like Mike Tyson's story about how he went to Spofford. Spofford was like a, a youth jail in New York, but it was literally like Rikers. It was literally like one of the roughest places that you could go. Maximum facility jail for, you know, children under 16. And so I worked in one of those facilities when I was in like my early 20s. And um, it was called Crossroads here in Brooklyn. Shout out to Crossroads. And there was just a kid and he'd be on the hall and we just had a good time. You know, sometimes it'd be favoritism. Some of the guards would like adopt some of the kids and bring them, not supposed to, but bring them food from outside. And like, you know, during the holidays, if I had to work, work 4th of July or like Memorial Day or whatever like that, they would end up you know, cooking for the kids and then they get to go co-ed because there were girls downstairs and boys upstairs and usually they were separated unless there was an event. But they get to go co-ed and, it, you know, beautiful big yard. Um, The hall had like playstations and like a projection screen TV. And I was like, well, dang, these kids is locked up and they got more luxuries than I got in my, in my crib and I work and my son's father work, but I got to do better. Right. Um, and so I remember leaving work one day and there was a kid who was outside and I'm like, Hey, what you doing out here? And he's like, hi, Miss Banks. And I'm like, but you free, you in the world. Like, what are you, why are you riding around outside? And he was like, nah, I miss y'all. 
And it broke my heart. It just was like, dang, you know, it, it dawned on me that what we were providing some of these kids in jail was better than what they was getting at home. You know, people, grown-ups who went to work every day and loved them and played with them and, like, talked to them and, you know, spent time with them, counseling, group work, meals every day. Um, It really broke my heart, but it, it opened my resolve to be like, nah, I need to maybe do something else. So after that, I started teaching because I was like, well, maybe if I can get these kids before they enter into the system, I'll see what things look like. So I go and I'm, I'm being a teacher. And so as I'm, I start teaching, I remember teaching middle school at this one school and I was teaching a lesson. I think I probably sold this story before, but I was teaching a lesson about the unions. And so I try to bring lessons to things that people know about. And I talked about football teams and then I talked about um, gangs. Right. And I was like, well, why, why do you think some people join gangs? Would it be like similar to joining a union? And so a kid raised his hand and he said to me, well, Ms. Banks, when I go to jail. And I said, wait a minute. What do you mean when you go to jail? You mean if you go to jail? Right. And he was like, nah, Miss Banks, when I go to jail, I need to have like people who protect my back. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's not when you go to jail. It's if you go to jail. And he looked me in my eye and he said, no, Miss Banks, when I go to jail. And so I was like. I'm confused because you do know you have an option. And he just stared at me like, no. I don't have an option. It's going to be what it is. And when I go to jail, I'm going to need people to look out for me. And I remember staying after school with that kid. And we, I, I cried snot, bubble tears. And I was like, Yo, what, what is happening? You know, what's going on? Um, I taught across the street from a project. Oh, Fort Green, Fort Green Projects. And I was like, yo, what is really good what's really happening and you know speaking to some of the other teachers they were like yeah homeboy is like really deep into the life and like he he's he's a part of the gangs anyway his dad is in it his uncles is in it like that's just who he is and I remember a few years after that watching uh watching the news and saw that same exact student either he shot up father and who was holding his baby and murdered the dad or shot the baby. I don't even remember. But again, I just remember crying and almost being numb to that kind of sadness and that kind of pain. And, you know, feeling in a way like, damn, I wish that there was more that I could do. So after that, we went into mental health. And after that, ended up being a therapist at a school in a nut button near what was the project? In Far Rockaway. And if you don't know anything about Far Rockaway, well, where I taught at in Far Rockaway, it was like in the middle of like three projects. And sometimes we would go into the projects and do outreach and stuff like that. Um, we did a uh, breakfast. And so I'm very familiar with X, even if I didn't know him and his story and the stories of our, our babies who have to, to go through that. I see a lot, a lot, a lot of women who grew up in foster care who are dealing with the aftermath of what that looks like in their lives and the traumas 
that they experience trying to grow up and have normal lives and being healthy and everything. So, I mean, I just I just want to say to all of the therapists who are out there, you're doing this work and you're working specifically with kids or you're working specifically with populations who have addiction issues or trauma. Um, you know, pay a little special attention to those motherless children out there, especially our men, because they need us in a way that society doesn't often allow. Um, one good thing about DMX was is that he was as tragic as the end is. He was an exercise of being okay with sharing your traumas. He was a man that had no problem crying in, in, in public, worshiping God in public, letting you know what he believed, being fully transparent with his feelings. And I mean, who? It's so necessary that he be a model in those ways to a lot of the people that we serve. And it's just, you know, sometimes I use music therapy and use lyrics of songs to express certain things and I'm, I'm you know usually it's like Pac or like Nipsey or somebody like that but I mean I'm gonna take a deeper look at DMX's lyrics because some of our men really truly need what he had to offer um, and he was a gift sometimes we don't get to keep gifts so I just wanted to hop on and say that um you know, anybody here who has a family member struggling with addiction issues and mental health issues and trauma, be as patient as you possibly can be. The reason that I didn't want to work with those men was because I didn't really know if I would be able to deal with the transference of dealing with my own father's issues who saw his mother be murdered when he was 12 years old and ended up with an addiction issue and had a lot of personality disorder issues and you know, trauma. And so I just, I didn't think that I would have the compassion and the empathy to be able to work with those clients. But of course, my very first job out of, um, not out of college, but my very first job in college was working in uh, an addictions unit in school. And I found that those clients that I often avoided working with addictions, sex abuse, etc. Those were the clients that I needed to work with because it healed some of the things that I needed in me. So, um, say a little prayer for DMX and his family. If you hear this, say a little prayer for the family member that you have that you know is struggling, but you just don't have the strength or capacity or the skills or ability to deal with today. And just, you know, pray that they get it. And I will say a little prayer for you as well. All right. Until next time, be well. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, you can follow us on all our social media sites at Black Therapist Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter, as well as Black in Therapy on Facebook. Or you can follow your host, me, Miss M-S-N-I-K-I, thanks, on Instagram and Twitter, as well as you can find out any information about me at Nikita, N-I-K-I-T-A, banks.com and on the show's 
show's website, blacktherapistpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you want to send us any general feedback, show suggestions, uh, show topics, or guest ideas, please feel free to drop us an email at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Be well.